How's everybody doing, Crossroads? All right, well, welcome. We want to welcome everybody at the Hayward campus, everybody at the Fremont campus. My name is Mike. I am your family and student ministries pastor. I want to say welcome. I also want to let you know that as we've talked about in recent weeks, we're living in an age of many, many divisions, and that is why we need a bridge over the great divides. So I want to encourage everyone tonight, please remain for the entire message. If you hear something that maybe you think, I don't know if I agree with that, there's a really good chance we might come around to something that you absolutely do agree with. And in fact, we need to remember that regardless of disagreement, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. And with a message like we will hear today, it's very likely that everyone will leave here dissatisfied. <laughs> and what I mean is this, if you have adopted a position at one of the two polar opposites regarding the issues we're talking about today, there's a really good chance that I will not go far enough to satisfy you. However, remember that Jesus himself very often called irreligious people to repent, and he called religious people to be more loving. And so loving can be a tricky thing. Because remember that God gives us boundaries because he loves us, not just because he wants to control us. And so loving can look really weird sometimes. Let me give you an example. Sometimes I may want a Snickers bar because I have a tendency to get hangry at the end of the day, okay? Just like on the commercials. However, you may think that you are being loving by giving me a Snickers bar. Unfortunately, you are not being loving if I have diabetes. You are being harmful to me. So we must remember that sometimes we think we're being loving, but we are actually not. Our main point today is that we want you to hear our heart. We want you to hear that we truly want at Crossroads and in the body of Christ, we truly want to love and to welcome people. So I only ask you to remember that we are here today to wrestle with the truth as revealed in God's Word. None of your pastors here at our church will compromise our understanding of Scripture just to satisfy a human opinion, even if it's our own human opinion. And that means if you hear some things today that are difficult for you to accept, bear in mind that there's a very good chance they're also difficult for me to accept, okay? We have things that we wish the Bible didn't say, but we have to be committed to going to where the scripture and where the facts lead. So that said, one of our goals during this series is that we want to reinforce the truth that we can disagree on issues, even controversial issues, and still love one another. As part of the body of Christ, we cannot allow ourselves to get sucked into sort of the 2019 way of arguing. And you know what that is, right? Where you just insult the other side and beat them down and shame them and make them shut up. That's not how we're called to disagree. So um, if we're all ready, we're going to start with an overarching scripture guide for today. Here it is. We're in Romans chapter 12, verses 14 to 18. You will see this in your outline if you'd like to take it out. Here the Apostle Paul encourages us, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. 
Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And here comes the part where we underline. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Doesn't mean you don't have your own opinion, but it does mean that you don't go looking to start wars. So let's make that our guiding principle for today as we dive into this discussion on the sexual divide. Now, you might be thinking, well, Mike, just a few weeks back, you talked about having the sex talk with kids, and we kind of understand the, the biblical morality about sex. Well, today we're specifically going to be dealing with how to bridge those divides through the power of God regarding LGBTQ issues. So there you have it, out front. Now, I propose that what we're going to do is go through a step-by-step -step look at some important positions that we have adopted at Crossroads Church. Okay? Deep breath. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight our hearts would be open to receiving your truth and that we would all be willing to learn more about how you would have us bridge this divide. We pray for your strength in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and now let's go. So if you've got your outline out, get ready to jot some things down and follow along as we attempt to work through this. Here's the first position we have adopted. As followers of Christ, we highly esteem the marriage covenant as set forth by God through the scriptures. Namely, Christian marriage is between one man and one woman. And if that phrase made you start murmuring, it's going to be a long day. So in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Jesus Christ himself specifically said, haven't you read the scripture? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, this position is classical, orthodox Christianity. I don't think there are any surprises here. But we need to establish this as a foundation, so we're going to build a solid framework tonight. So that's our first position. Our second position is this. As followers of Christ, we believe that any sexual activity, activity outside this sacred covenant is clearly defined by the scriptures as sinful behavior. Jesus proclaimed that the acceptable sexual behavior outside marriage is celibacy. Therefore, we cannot affirm same-sex unions as God's will for followers of Christ. Again, be patient, be patient. But we want to make it crystal clear. We see it in Scripture, Matthew 19, 11 through 12. Listen to what Jesus says about sexual behavior. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word. So even back then it was challenging. But only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. Now, let me explain that word eunuch if you're not familiar with it. Okay. So, back in the Roman days, also in, uh, in what we would call the um, Far East Asian history, well, we had eunuchs. And eunuchs were people who lacked certain reproductive organs. And these men 
if they were born that way or if they had those organs removed, it was so that they could be guards for the women's quarters, usually regarding a temple or something like that. So that was the purpose of a eunuch. A eunuch's life was a life of celibacy. Now, before we get too comfortable with this, I feel like it's only fair to add that this scripture applies just as strictly to heterosexual activity outside of marriage, including things like adultery, living together, etc. So if we want to apply scripture, we have to apply it fairly. But what this scripture is saying, what Jesus made very clear, is that sexual activity is designed for a committed marriage between one man and one woman, and that is the proper context. Remember, when God gives us boundaries, when God gives us commandments, he does it because he loves us. He wants to protect us from harm. He doesn't do it because he doesn't want us to have fun. He doesn't want us to be able to be free. That is not God's plan. God actually chose to give us the gift of free will. We're the ones who took it and ran in the wrong direction. So let's be clear. Now let's move to our next position. Position number three is that as followers of Christ, we do not believe, however, that homosexual acts are somehow more deserving of condemnation than any other sexual acts that occur outside the covenant of biblical marriage. You can murmur for a second if you need to murmur. But let me clarify. We want you to hear very clearly, we believe what the Bible says about human sexuality. And because we do, by reading the scriptures fairly and objectively, we can come to no other conclusion that yes, homosexual behavior is outside of God's will, but so is any heterosexual behavior that is outside the covenant of marriage. Do we understand that? All right, I just want to make sure that we can, we, we do not find ourselves in a position where we are somehow giving greater condemnation to certain types of sexual acts, okay? Jesus himself never discussed homosexuality. However, there were a lot of things that Jesus didn't discuss. Homosexuality was not a common practice in the Jewish culture of his day, which is where Jesus was. In the Greek and Roman cultures, it was more common, but not in the Jewish culture. So Jesus never felt that he needed to address it directly as far as was recorded, as far as we know. However, the New Testament is clear that homosexual behavior is outside of God's will. Notice I use the word behavior. We see this in Romans chapter 1, we see it in Jude 7, and we also see it in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 10 to 11. Take a look. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, or who practice homosexuality, or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Right off the bat, let me address. These passages address behaviors. Do we understand that? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? We're talking about behaviors. We can fairly say that a person who has same-sex attraction, a person who I don't like to label, but a person who 
is gay, we're not saying that that is sinful. Do we understand that? The issue is acting on it, just like a person who is heterosexual, who is not married, I'm trying to think of somebody like that, oh yeah, like me, a person like that is also called to celibacy. These scriptures apply equally. Again, if we want to apply scripture, we have to apply it fairly. So if you want to look at sexual sin directly, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church and saying, listen, run from sexual immorality. It is a sin that carries drastic consequences in your own body. And I don't believe that just means physical consequences. I believe it also means spiritual and emotional consequences as well. But in this context, there's no mention of homosexuality. Paul's talking about heterosexual offenses. So logically, to somehow label homosexuality as, as, I don't know, worse than, say, adultery seems very disingenuous at best. So as the church, as the body of Christ, we must be very, very careful and make sure that we have not made homosexual behavior somehow more deserving of condemnation than any heterosexual behavior outside of marriage. I hope I'm being clear on this, because what I'm trying to say is that there is a standard that the Bible sets for us for our own protection, and it's not mean-spirited, and it's not unloving. It is to protect our hearts. And this leads us to position number four. And again, I want everybody to, to hang in there with me here. Position four is that as followers of Christ, we are deeply saddened by the demonization and or the rejection of individuals with same-sex desires by those who might call themselves Christ followers. And also, we are firmly opposed to any and all forms of evil, including prejudice, bigotry, and violence. I don't know if I can be any more clear than that. If we're followers of Jesus, then it should break our hearts when we see people singled out because of their sexuality by so-called Christians demonizing and rejecting these people. Crossroads, if we truly desire to demonstrate the love of Christ, we're called to speak the truth in love. Now, through the years, it really has broken my heart to see how some of these people have attacked the gay community. I pray this doesn't represent anybody in our church. I pray that it's rare, and I pray that it's less representative of Christians and more just the media using a very small group of people to unfairly portray Christians in a negative light, because that's what I believe that it is. It's not an issue to be debated. Of course, we can have discussion regarding it. We can disagree about interpreting the Bible, but these are people to be loved. They are not people to be rejected. These are people that Jesus died for just as much as he died for you and me. So while we may disagree with the behavior of other peoples, we may readily acknowledge this is not in line with God's commandments. 
we are not called to pass judgment on the behavior of unbelievers. We're not called to pass judgment anyway, but there's a, a point where Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and he was talking about church leadership and church discipline. And he specifically said to them, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Do we really think that we can impose Christian morality on the culture around us? No, we can live it. We can demonstrate it and we can love. But we are not called to condemn people. We are called to share God's love with those people. That's why we have this big bridge here. So let's move to position number five. As followers of Christ, we feel strongly that it's dehumanizing to compel a person to base his or her identity upon sexual desires. Therefore, we resist efforts to coerce people into labeling themselves as gay, lesbian, or bisexual based on their attractions. We harm people when we make the nature of a person's sexual attraction his or her identifying characteristic. Do you understand what this is saying? That when we say there's that gay person, there's that transgender person, we're labeling that person based on one characteristic. Now, here's one I think people miss. We have a tendency to label things we don't understand because it gives us a sense of control. So, for instance, when we disagree with a person, it's much more comfortable to label that person because I feel like if I label someone, then I already understand you and therefore you pose no threat to me. We do this in politics all the time, but that's another sermon. Wait for that one. The fact is, we're all created in God's image. No matter how we disagree, no matter what we think about sexuality, ultimately, nothing negates this fact. Even if you don't think God exists, it doesn't negate the fact that we are created in God's image. So while we may disagree with a person's opinions or beliefs, we're not called to pass judgment on their value as a person. In fact, we believe that every person has value as an image bearer of God. Let that sink in. You are an image bearer of God. I am an image bearer of God. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 2 and verse 12 say, this is Jesus speaking, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. We call this the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated yourself. So we believe that we do people a great disservice by labeling them. And we encourage people not to label themselves based on sexual attraction. We're so much more than this. We're created in the image of Almighty God. I don't know if you've ever listened to Lecrae. He's a rapper. I like Lecrae. And um, he tells a story of he was in Hollywood one time. He was there for a conference, and he stopped by a store in Hollywood just to pick up a plain old cotton T-shirt. And he pulled one from the rack, and he thought, this must be mislabeled. So he brought over one of the workers in the store, and they said, oh, no, that's correct. Actually, that's the special sale price $640. Lecrae began to question, what could be so special about this t-shirt? Will it heal me of diseases? He asked, will it give me superpowers? 
She replied, it's the designer's name on it that adds value to it. Do you get the message? If you want to label yourself, label yourself with the designer's name. That adds value. You are a child of God. Okay, we have to move to number six. What, you might ask, what, what if you have a son or a daughter who believes that they are of the wrong gender, that they are trapped in the opposite body? Well, I think this merits a whole workshop, but what I can tell you really briefly is you need to talk to them in love, you need to communicate with them, and I encourage you to feel free to connect with us at the church. But I have to be faithful, and I have to tell you that as followers of Christ, we do reject the concept of gender fluidity, and we oppose confusing children in this area as it could lead to increased suicidal thoughts. Now, I want you to pause and listen to this before you make a decision. I understand this is a sensitive topic. I want to approach it respectfully because I know there are some of you here, some parents, some young people that may have had to wrestle with this or maybe you're wrestling with it now. We're called to love people who believe they are the wrong gender. So we want to look at this from both a biblical and a scientific perspective. The biblical position is, is clear. In Genesis 1.27, we read, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So if you're a believer, this passage may already be familiar to you, but what if you're here and you're not a person of faith? If you are, first, welcome. And no, we don't talk about sex every week. Why am I always the one that has to say this? I understand you want more than scripture to help you understand. So let's look at the science. Again, you do not have to agree, but you would not be disagreeing with me. You would be disagreeing with the science. And I encourage you, don't take my word for it. Go look it up. First, let's look at the genetic question, because we know that between 0.1 and 0.2%, okay, so that's between one and two births out of every thousand, of babies are born at, with at least partial organs of both sexes. That's not what we're discussing here today because that is a biological issue that needs to be rectified with it between the parents talking about the doctor and which way should they proceed. But we do know that studies of identical twins show that at least 72% of what contributes to this transgenderism is in one twin but not the other. So that means it comes from something other than genetics. The facts, the factors, the majority of factors are not rooted in biology. Any, the doctors have concluded that any genetic influence is mild. So let's, let's address that first. I want everyone to know that we, we know what we're talking about here. Now, the APA, the American Psychological Association's Handbook of Sexuality and Psychology, admits that prior to the widespread promotion of transition affirmation, 75 to 95 percent of prepubertal children who were distressed by their biological sex eventually outgrew that distress. So if you're here and you're a science teacher, you already know this. But it's more than likely that they will outgrow that distress. There's a reason that they're distressed by it, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I also want to talk about the fact that some people are encouraging kids to take hormones which will give them characteristics of the opposite sex. 
Okay, these risks of these hormones include, but are not limited to, cardiac disease, high blood pressure, blood clots, strokes, diabetes, and cancers. And this is one of the multiple reasons that the American College of Pediatricians president, Dr. Michelle Cretella, has stated transgender ideology is large-scale child abuse. So again, are we angry or upset at transgender people? No, absolutely not. Okay, created in the image of God, loved by God, no question about it. But promoting this among children is deadly. Those who undergo sex reassignment, even in Sweden, which is among the most LGBT-affirming countries, have a suicide rate nearly 20 times greater than the general population. Do you hear me? The surgery didn't fix what was wrong inside. So please, let's treat people's hearts. Let's treat them holistically. Let us not go after their bodies. My thoughts as a youth worker of nearly 30 years, body dysmorphic disorder is not new. Teenagers look in the mirror and don't like what they see. This is not new, my friends. It has, as long as there have been teenagers, there has been dissatisfaction with bodies. But I think in the past, they wrestled with it in different ways. Sometimes they expressed it by acting out. Sometimes people reverted to eating disorders. Again, things that are not good. But now that we are pushing this ideology, we have to understand that we're killing kids. This is not a live and let live issue. Research shows that it's extremely deadly, and that's why I'm, I'm quoting Matthew 18, 6, when Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Child abuse is not a joke. Okay, yes, today is very heavy, but let's not forget our main point, which is bridging this divide. We want you to know that there are issues we don't bring up here all the time, and this is one of them. And it's not because we're afraid of them, but it's because they cause division. And the fact is, these are not non-negotiable issues. We prefer to spend our time telling you that no matter who you are, Jesus loves you and died for you and wants a relationship with you. So there are two more positions that I want to close out with. Number seven, as followers of Christ, we pledge to walk alongside those with unwanted same-sex desires and those who choose celibacy. We believe that God's Holy Spirit is very capable of performing miraculous change. And here's what I mean. I'm not talking about orientation change therapy. There's no good data for that, so I cannot recommend that. However, I have to believe that the God who can give us the strength for celibacy can give that strength to people who are attracted to same sex as well as opposite sex. This applies to all of those who are unmarried. So as the video said, we need to do better. And doing better, Crossroads Church, means that we are family to the people who find themselves in this lonely place. And our final position, as followers of Christ, we open our doors with a warm welcome to anyone seeking truth 
and considering opening their hearts to the grace, love, and transforming power of Jesus Christ. We can do better, and here's how we do it. Galatians 6, 6, 2 through 3 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So, are LGBTQ folks welcome here? Absolutely. Because everyone is welcome here if they're seeking God's love. And even if you believe that people with this label are somehow the worst among sinners, which we debunked, remember that sinners are who Jesus spent his time with. So while we won't perform same-sex weddings here or endorse sex reassignment surgery, you better believe we're going to welcome people, we're going to love people, and we are going to resist the urge to label people. And we all, especially me, Better hope we never put a sign in the door that says sinners unwelcome. Because if we do, I can't come to this church. In Mark 2.17, it says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been reading the Bible for a little while. And one thing I cannot escape, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. So I don't care who you're attracted to. I don't care who you're not attracted to. I don't care what political party you are. I don't care what race you are. All these divides that we've made so important, they don't matter to Jesus. What matters to Jesus is that we turn and we love him. 